I don't know if you've noticed, but pretty much every sermon I have preached since I've been here has come from what we call the Old Testament, the Older Covenant. There's a reason for that I won't get into now, other than for me, those passages and stories serve as a foundation for how I understand who we are and who God is and who Jesus is. That said, let me say that I've also missed spending time with Jesus this summer, and so now we'll return, especially to the passages from the Gospel of Luke. This morning's passage comes to us from the 10th chapter, verses 10 through 17. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. On a Sabbath... Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Alleluia. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day, set free from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were shamed and humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O God, be for us those hands of healing so that in some powerful yet mysterious way we may be set free from all that binds us. In Christ's name, amen. Most of us love this picture of Jesus coming into the synagogue. He's actually teaching there, but he seems so much like Dirty Harry or or Maverick, Top Gun Maverick, his, his, his power going up against the institution of religion, the, the unmovable institution, as hardened as a block of ice and equally as cold. That's it, right? Bureaucracy and government and social security administration and city council, all institutionally hard as a block of ice and equally as cold. Think of 
Some fundamentalist religions who will not budge on institutional orthodoxy, institution, by the way, simply comes from the same Latin root as, as a stand, that which stands on. It's, it's that which we stand on, a foundation. Those religions who will not budge on institutional orthodoxy and turn as hard as ice too, or even granite. We love this Jesus. This thought of Jesus, the outsider cowboy, guns ready to shoot, going up against those institutionalists, that institutional pool, 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 pool of ice, while Jesus brings the heat. Only the heat Jesus brings comes from his eyes as he looks at each person clearly and from his hands, those warm hands as he lays them on those who are ill and infirm, or from his voice, from his voice that speaks the warming love and power of God. turns that ice, it melts it into water. Supposedly, maybe, the waters of baptism. This idea of this outsider coming into town to fix the corrupt institutions is deep in our hearts, you see, because it's built on the great American cowboy mythology that so many of our movies have been based on. Really, it It's part of who we are, but it became truly who we are with the election of Teddy Roosevelt, who was the ultimate first cowboy myth. He showed us what it means to be a real man. And then came John Wayne and Clint Eastwood and Tom Cruise. (laughs) You know I'm right. Each one part of the institution they work in, but are not controlled by it. They're mavericks, refusing to be institutionalized by the rules, angering their superiors, always on the edge of being thrown off the job or even killed. There's a book that's just been recently written about this, cowboy mythology, titled Jesus and John Wayne, how white evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured a nation by a white evangelical named Kristen Cobes Dumez. Growing up in the evangelical church, she came to see that beginning with Billy Sunday, then moving to Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, then through the local congregations and preachers, television, social media, the evangelical movement came to see themselves as being persecuted by the institutions of of the academy and of government and of culture. And that that they they began to look for the gun-slinging cowboy savior who would who would play the role of fighting against all those corrupt institutions of wokeism and I still don't know what that means, <laughs> cancel culture and identity politics and religious persecution all in the name of Jesus. We like to think of Jesus this way, 
who rides into town, takes care of all the corruption, calls what's true, true, sort of like what this passage shows, only not. Jesus was institutionalized. He was baptized on the eighth day, like every other Jew. He sat at the feet of the teachers in the synagogue and temple when he was 12, according to Luke. Having his parents forget him and losing him, having to go back because he was so institutionalized and interested in the teaching of the leaders. He was teaching in the synagogue in this morning's passage, which means certainly he was a leader of the institution or he wouldn't be invited. Some say he was even a Pharisee. He was institutionalized. He followed the rules, even sharpened them in some cases, until those rules ossified, hard as granite, unmoved by personal and human need. Then, look out. He's teaching on the Sabbath, an unnamed synagogue, when he notices a woman in the back hiding behind the column in the shadows. It's where all the women stood in the synagogues back then. Jesus couldn't really see her face. She was, she was too humped over to, to see her face. He could only see the, her back, maybe the top of her head, crippled as a young tree in an ice storm. The story says she was filled with a spirit that had stood on her for 18 years. The Greek word for her condition is kyphotic. It doesn't just mean bent over, it means doubled over like a pretzel. A human pretzel he sees back there, bent in on herself by some terrible spirit that broke her back as well as her soul. You ever seen anybody like that? Not in church, usually. We, we don't want to make ourselves that vulnerable. But there's a part of us, each of us, that's her. The story tells us that her condition was caused, as I said, by a spirit. Jesus calls it an evil spirit. And we like to think that maybe she did something wrong, that she was, she was haunted by the spirit of guilt or shame or not measuring up, or some disease that she thought was her fault. You see, in those days, when, when you had something bad happen to you, a lot of people thought that you'd done something to deserve it. So this woman with an evil spirit for 18 years must have been really bad, right? No telling what she'd done. But Jesus could, could look into her soul, and he could see that that maybe wasn't it that maybe her condition was not because of something she had done, but because of an evil spirit that had chosen to impose itself on her. 
like institutional injustice toward those who do not fit in. Maybe it was institutional racism. It has been, was, is, in a way, still institutionalized. Maybe, maybe her back had been so flogged by the man that her scars just pulled up tighter and tighter and all she could do was barely stand up. Maybe she had been warned never to look in the master's eyes because, because when you're a slave, you got to keep your head down. You don't look up and the master's eyes. You don't look at the man. You lower your eyes. You keep your head down. And the more she kept it down, the more stooped over she got. Maybe it was the spirit of racism and slavery that she carried for 18 years. If you've read Toni Morrison's book, Beloved, and I recommend it, as painful as it is, you see how this works. You will see what the weight, what the weight of slavery does to a human being, how it hollows out their soul and breaks their backs with fear and loathing. There are all kinds of spirits in this book too, by the way, interesting ones. So read it if you really want to see this story. It's also full of beloved grace, all in the midst of it. Jesus saw that, you see. Jesus sees that in all institutions, that institutional dehumanization that reduces us to simply a number, not even a name. And he calls her to him. And she had the brazen courage to walk past the congregation with all of them looking at her. Did you see that woman? Did you see that woman standing back there? She came to church today. She's got a purple hair that goes up in a, in a crown. She has tattoos all over her body. Her skirt's not barely long enough to cover anything. She's chewing gum. God bless her. She made her way up to Jesus, shuffling every step, bent over. And Jesus looked her in the eye. He got down on eye level and looked at her and said to her, Woman, your infirmity has been set free. Then he put his hands on her. And immediately she straightened up and began praising God. Just like that. Set free. Because Jesus saw her. And Jesus called her out. And Jesus touched her. And Jesus set her free with those same hands that would bear the iron of those nails on the cross. He set her free from the iron and shackles that she carried forward. Even Ernest Ainsley would have been impressed. But not those lawyers and institutional religious police. The leader of the synagogue, he doesn't like it a bit. 
it's not so much about the Sabbath, it's about this woman. This woman who got forward up front that Jesus called. It's, a, it's about this woman who obviously had an evil spirit. He, he calls them out and he says, look, everybody, there's six days to do this kind of healing. Do it then, not on the Sabbath. Rules are rules. Jesus couldn't keep his mouth shut. You hypocrites. Don't each of you on the Sabbath take your colt and your ox out of the barn and lead it to water to drink? Why shouldn't this woman, unnamed up to this point, this woman now, a child, a daughter of Abraham? There were sons of Abraham. That's what happens when you're circumcised. But a daughter of Abraham that Satan has kept bound for 18 long years and now set free on the Sabbath day, shouldn't we all rejoice? He gave her a name, daughter of Abraham, and there's no higher honor, not a nickname. When Jesus said all this, all the institutionalists were humiliated, shamed, but the people were delighted by all the wonderful things that Jesus had done. Later, that humiliation and rage would turn to murder. But now the people are too elated. The institutionalists knew that they would work on them enough to bring them back into the role of the institution and bleed any of that humanity out of them. As many times as I've preached this passage, I've, I've had really no idea of its power. I preached it three or four times early in my ministry in Atlanta, and, and, and it was the same passage, but I didn't quite get it, you see. Um, I, I knew that I was missing something, but I didn't know what, and so I was invited for some reason I have yet to figure out as a 45-year-old man to go to a Presbyterian woman's re, uh, retreat uh, in North Georgia for three days, and I was going to be the leader, 45. I literally had no idea why, nor what I was doing as a man there among all these women. There were 30 or so women, um, maybe 20 or 22 were Caucasian, the rest were women of color. I picked this passage out because it is a woman who gets healed in a, in a synagogue that probably should not have happened, to, to point to the fact that women are as much a part of the kingdom of God as are men. I don't care what the institutions say. And as I'm going on and on about the theology and the biblical text and all of that, one of the women in, at the desk raises her hand and says, Steve, I really, I really appreciate you picking out this passage but can I ask you a favor? I said, sure. Can you give me 15 minutes just to do something, us together, so, so maybe we can all get a sense of how powerful this is? She was a 80-plus African-American woman, and when she spoke, she had such power and authority. All the other women were like, yes, 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 as was I. 
So she comes forward and she goes, I want everybody here to gather up. There are 30 of us. I want you to all gather up in groups of six. And we're going we're gonna to play act, role play this story. One of you is going to be the bent over woman. One of you is going to be Jesus. One of you is going to be the mean institutional guy. And the rest of you are going to be the crowd who, who, who are elated and praise God. And so they gathered in six. And I'm standing by the side. And she says to me, uh, Steve, I need you in my group. And I want you to stand beside me. So I meekly walked over, and, and, sh and she says, okay. So she started naming people in the, in the circle, who, what they were going to do and be, and she didn't name me at all. And then she says, okay, everybody, stop. Um, I know you're not through going around, everybody playing each role, but uh, just stop now because I, I want to do one more thing. Um, and, and she says, Steve, uh, I want you to be the bent over woman. So I've been over. No, Steve, I want you to be the bent over woman. I've been over. And I, I can't see anything. I'm usually, I'm used to watching people, looking at people's tops of their heads. All I can see are the tops of their shoes. And I've been over. And this woman, 80 some years, this woman, she walks around in front of me and she knows that the power of God to look us in our eye is what it's all about. She literally puts her hand on my shoulder and gets down on her knees, groaning the whole time, and looks up at me as I'm bent over and says, Steve, may the spirit in you be unloosed. I cannot tell you how moved I was. She also then said, give me a hand up. <laughs> I will, but I got to get up first. I was so moved because what I discovered in that was my own institutional darkness around the issue of race that I didn't even know I had. Or at least if I knew I had it, I didn't want to admit it. And here was this black woman, the figure and presence of Jesus Christ, kneeling on her knee. Black women don't kneel in front of anybody. Thank goodness. But she did. To free me. Do you get this? This is Jesus. And this is who we are called to be as a church. Amen.